listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara. And I'd like to welcome you to episode number 18. So, um, and this week, my best friend and fellow um, creator of Denver Underground Radio and co-host of the Upstairs Room radio uh, show and uh, um, co-founder of the of our band uh, Silver Chord, as well as his own band uh, project uh, Artemalis, uh, Ken Kiefer is joining me again. He was here on uh, the first actual episode um, way back when we started. Uh, it's episode two after the introduction one. And so now he's here again. Um, I think we're going to try to do kind of a ongoing series about about some of our favorite bands. And we decided to kick it off with Ken's favorite band, Depeche Mode. And uh, yeah, we'll go into the history, uh, his history with the band, and and his love with, for them uh, since the '80s. But uh, yeah, it's a, his favorite band, and it's one of my favorite bands. And uh, you know, Depeche Mode are an uh, amazing uh, band, and well, we definitely go over all their career. And I mean, we don't pull any punches with the some things that we don't like. You know, we're we're definitely. Uh, honest about that but you know overall Depeche Mode are in my opinion one of the stronger bands to exist so it's great to uh, dig in to their career with Ken and uh, talk about them like I, we were talking about with the upstairs room uh, well, that is on neverundergroundradio.com uh, every Thursday night from um, well, 9pm to 12am Mountain Standard Time 11 p.m. to uh, 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can tune in there um, uh, every Thursday live. Um, and actually, when we recorded this podcast, we recorded it uh, live uh, on the radio show. So, um, you know, we, we played a little set of Depeche Mode songs and then uh, went into the conversation and um, and also played the song that's going to be at the end of this, which is a uh, cover that Ken did with his project Art of Malice a while back, which is a cover of To Have and To Hold by Depeche Mode from their album Music for the Masses. And uh, I uh, really love the cover and... Uh, Definitely needed to close out this episode with it. Um, and before we talk, I'm going to be playing. Um, we're going to be playing "World in My Eyes" from Depeche Mode. So, you know, we're kicking it off. Um, yeah, I'd like to thank everybody who's listening to the podcast. Thank you, um, and uh, you know, follow us on uh, Denver Underground Radio um, on Instagram, or you can follow me on there as well and um and um and then also you guys all need to follow the fellow horsemen of the podcast apocalypse my brethren in arms we got um on mondays you got horror wolf 666 with brandon legion on tuesdays you got into the necrosphere with jackie smith wednesday you got everything went black with mike hill and thursday you got uh and Necromaniacs with Mike Hill and Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. 
And then uh, intermittent times, we got uh, Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne from Trivax. So that's the, uh, the group of us. Um, before I go in the episode, I guess, let's see. Anything I want to recommend? I'd recommend uh, checking out the All Quiet on the Western Front movie. That's on Netflix right now, the German movie. Uh, I think it was great. Um, extremely moody, very, very brutal and depressing. Uh, incredible recreation of World War I uh, battlefields. Uh, and yeah, just a very powerful movie. Um, sometimes maybe a little bit slow here in parts, but just overall I think it's a great movie and I highly recommend everybody to go check that out. And uh, if you're uh, a fan of or interest in, say, 1920s Weimar Berlin, there's a show called Babylon Berlin, which I've been watching, which is also on Netflix, which I really recommend if you're interested in any of those uh, time periods. So that's my recommendations for this week. Um, all right, well, we're going to go into the episode uh, thank you again for listening, and um, hail Satan.
So I figured uh, start off talking about Fesh Mode. I want to go into each album, like I was saying earlier, but um, I figured we started off with like, how did you get into Depeche Mode? Because I mean, you're like a lifelong Depeche Mode since like the '80s, so you know. Yeah, my name is Ken Kiefer. <laughs> I've been on the show before. <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, I am one of the co-founders of Denver Underground Radio with Mr. I Care here. Yeah, and uh, we do the upstairs room program every Thursday night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. here on the station. Um, and when we're not doing that, um, we're talking about the fish boat on Carl's podcast. Thank you for letting me be on your program, man. Yeah, of course, dude. <laughs> so, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> I figure I have to start off like a little penis. A little, little plug, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why not? It's your show, too, man. It's true, yeah. And uh, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, the show's a no nine, shame in the game here. No shame you, can game. Our, you can listen to the show. Maybe one day we'll have it on a podcast. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the closest that I'm sure I will be on a podcast would be Carl's podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, the um. Well, so yeah. how did I get into Pesh mode? That's yeah. The question. Yeah. So um, <sighs> for me, I would say. I remember the first time I had heard the Pesh Mode, I remember hearing People Are People. I remember seeing the video on MTV when I was like, I think probably like 12, 13 years old, if that. I remember younger than that, actually, because I came out, what, 83? Like, I was about 12, you know? Yeah, People, was pe- people Are People. Well, that was on the, on the Catching Up. I don't know when the single itself came out. It must have been eighty three. Um, people are people. Like people are people came out. Like like the the single came out, and then they put out the people are people. Like kind of the extended play, which led into like some great reward. Okay, so yeah, I would have been eighty three then, because construct construction time again came out eighty three. So yeah, because it was after the you know it was like you know it's like master and servant and all that stuff came out, but. You know, but it was like because people are people. I believe was like on. It was on some, some great reward, is it? Um, I think so. Let me check. I got this pulled up. Uh, I yeah, can't it is, remember. Um, yeah, it is on. It is on some great reward. It says yeah, the single came out on the twelfth of March, nineteen eighty four. So, so I remember listening to people are people. Around that time, you know, like 83, 84, something like that. Um, so I would have been like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. Before I, I mean, I think I just moved to Florida, like shortly before that, around, around that summer, whatever. I remember seeing on MTV, I'm just like, that's a different band. They sound completely different, you know, you know, because most of the show on MTV was like, you know, Motley Crue and like Theater of Pain and shit, like Home <laughs> Sweet Home would play all the time. And, you would see like Rod Stewart and then they would throw like an Elton John tracker. It's like bad, like, you know, the bad 80s music. Yeah. And then, you know, then the Pesh Mode came on, like out of the random out of the blue, like in their regular rotation. I was like, and then it was on the radio. It was on the radio for a short period of time. Um, so that was like kind of my first exposure to the Pesh Mode. And then that got me going into like watching 120 minutes on MTV and then you just that opened up a book of a lot of bands for me. 
Right. You know? <clears throat> I mean, because I mean that was you know, before the internet, before you know, I mean you were getting all of your information through, you know, magazines and books, you know, but mostly through magazines and through MTV and through, you know, that was about it. Going to record stores, finding out that information started to rifle through titles just cause. <clears throat> so it was just one of those things, you know, when you're young, you're just like, okay, where do I start? You know, and I had just moved to Florida from Ohio. And I was like completely like, felt like I was, a, you know, I mean, I, I felt like I was transplanted in a different world, like not in a good world, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I went from living in my neighborhood where I had friends and felt comfortable and things felt comfortable than, than living in a place where, they didn't, you know, understand how I was, you know, because I mean, I lived in like an all black neighborhood and that was all I knew, you know, like it wasn't like, it was kind of like when a, I, I guess the way I could kind of view it is like when a rabbit hangs out on a bunch of cats <laughs> and that rabbit starts to hiss and meow and shit right. and act like a cat. Yeah. You just act like a cat. You don't, you don't understand it. No, you're a white rabbit, bitch. you act different you shit everywhere different you are different but i mean one of the same people but you know but it's just one of those things where uh, i felt like when i was with it was like the weird thing about it and this is obviously off subject but it's one of those things where you start feeling different like you're like oh like am i supposed to be acting a certain way and you know and then you start getting introduced to a lot of different like people and music and then you know it's like i felt like the fresh mode is when i started to find a lot of my identity like in regards to like how i want to listen to music how how i view music how do i view fashion how i view you know like how i wanted my music structure to go and that was one of the found kind of the foundation bands for me and then that sprung board you know every Every, every, I would say every kid that was like 12 to 15 that was getting into his music for the first time in the early 80s in the United States, you had Depeche Mode, you had The Cure, you had The Smiths, you had New Order. That's, that's like your, that's your, that's your baseline. I always feel that's your baseline. Like those are the four bands I feel. I mean, everybody has a different path, whether you go more, more guitar laden, you go a lot more electronic keyboard laden, or you're, more driven towards like prose and more about lyricism and it's that's where you start to kind of separate right where for me i i was very intrigued by keyboards and by synthesizers by drum machines you know the whole mechanics of that music can be done in your house where guitars felt a little too much for (laughs) me to kind of digest yeah but I liked them, and I just felt like it, it, they always were. Martin always wrote about kind of like his sensibilities in the beginning was more about being broken, being you know lost in like in his own personality, his own world, lost in how he views love and and relationships and. And then there were certain things where you start talking more about politics, but, you know, and social, like social situations. But it was one of those things where you start connecting with the whole, with that whole experience for me. So I think moving to a new state 
starting to experiment and learn new music was definitely like kind of the springboard. But that was, you know, getting into that springboard into the other album. So it made me go, you know, back and then come forward. So I started early on. You figure I started with the patch mode and like, you know, full on probably for catching up for the patch mode. Like that was like, cause it had like, you were able to really catch up from obviously the name of the album, you were able <laughs> to catch it up from the beginning to that current, that current time. Right. So, that that would have been like, you get into, I mean, cause you mean, that's like 84 when you got <clears throat> into them. So, I mean, that's like their first, four albums three at three or four albums because he probably got into them when like strange some great award came out so yeah i mean you figure you have you know i mean you have speak a spell broken frame construction time again some great reward yeah you know that i mean so you really didn't have a whole lot of catch-up to go to yeah um you know so i think i think it was a good album to start with stop it boy oh man he's like He's got to get in on on that on that thing. The um, yeah. yeah well, I, I think yeah, it's kind of funny because you got to think like you followed their career pretty much like ever since then. So I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, like, it's pretty it's pretty interesting because it's like you go. I mean, I went through like pretty much my whole adolescence on to being yeah. this old man that I am now. You know, and it's it's gone through a lot of it's gone through a lot of structure and transition, and it's it's kind of weird when you follow a band, basically from your teenage years on, and that band still sticks to this day. Yeah, I mean, it it's kind of speaks values. I mean, there's really not a band that I listen to that I can say, yeah, I I can listen to that. I can go and pop that in, and I feel fine about listening to something from back in the '80s. And it felt like just like I listened to it when I was a kid. So, yeah, well, there are one of the few bands I think that that from their era that has maintained throughout all the years. You know, as we're getting to and getting to all the albums, it's like they really only have one bad album in their whole career. So it's like, I mean, no yeah. other. There's no other band you can say that about. Like. I mean, the Cure haven't released a good album in thirty years. You know, like, <laughs> like some of these exactly. Bands. I mean, they have not released a decent, listenable album since Disintegration. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, you can listen to Wish, kind of. Yeah, but not really. Yeah, I mean, I know some people like Bloodflowers or whatever, but I don't like it. <laughs> but you know, like, that's the thing about like. Then like the cure, like that that kind of those core bands you mentioned, like you got like Depeche Mode, The Cure, New Order, Smiths. Like I mean, the Smiths broke up after four albums, and and uh, and now Morrissey's like the fucking like asshole Weird socialist, Weirdo. yeah, like just like what he is refuses to play live. And then you got like uh, New Order, which is just like I don't even know what's going on with New Order anymore. Like their music's terrible. And, uh, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, with New Order, it's always been terrible. It's just that it's well, they they had their pocket. They're, where they're catchy. Good. Yeah, they had their pocket. Never, but he's never been a good singer. It's just it's just been a it, it's a a band that you accept like kind of like their skill set, 
but if they didn't, if they weren't Joy Division, I think that that would have been a, a real big minus for them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I do think though that like with, I mean, obviously we're not talking about New Order this episode, but it's like with New Order, they had their pocket up to maybe Brotherhood as the last album, where I genuinely like a lot of the songs. You know, I don't necessarily think most of the albums are like good all the way through, but right. But I, you know, low life. You know, you have songs like. Yeah, they have like really good songs on on all those albums, and it's like, but again, they're another band that hasn't released a good album in thirty years. You know, long. yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Brotherhood came in like eighty six, <laughs> so it's like the uh, <laughs> the um yeah, that's that's so, a tricky band. I mean, it's just that's just a tricky band. Um, that's why we're talking about the Peshmo. <laughs> yeah, that's why the Mode is the first one. So yeah, the um yeah. Well, I guess we can talk about the albums, and then, um, and then, uh, then, then we can go into your experiences seeing them live every year for thirty years. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, the, um, right. yeah, crazy. The, um, yeah, I got into Depeche Mode myself. Um, I remember when I was a kid, um, getting into all those bands you mentioned. And all the post punk and, and goth bands and all those kinds of stuff like uh the best mode were kind of one of those bands that you know you hear you hear about or whatever i think um i honestly it's so it's like foggy for me like i just remember i got a violator at the library and listened to that was how i found that that's how i got into the best mode i like got violator from the library and listened to that and uh i and like ripped it because I used to rip album, you know, rip rip CDs from the library and stuff, and and uh, then I just used to listen to it all the time. And it's like, uh, but I don't remember how I found out about Depeche Mode necessarily. But I'm assuming it's just one of those bands that comes up when you when you know all these other bands. And I, and then I got I got other stuff by them with time. And then when we met, um. I think that precipitated me getting more into the passion mode because I, there was a lot of their music that I hadn't heard, you know? And then you're like, Oh yeah, you got to listen to some great ward and, and black celebration and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like that I hadn't heard. So I started buying all the, those albums, you know? Well, I mean, that was the weird thing with me, you know? I mean, I didn't have a CD of Depeche Mode until Violator. And then I had to go and rebuy them all. Cause I had them all on cassette. Right. You know, because I wasn't spending thirty dollars for a fucking CD. Like I just wasn't. Like, right. <laughs> and I like I still was like about cassettes until it could. Then you did have no choice. Like I had to go. Just like anything, you know, in in music and how you digest music and how you listen to music, you have to go along with it. You know, and the cassettes were like in my pockets all the time as a kid. <laughs> like, right. I always had. <laughs> Always had a pocket full of cassettes in my, and I always had a bag full of cassettes with my Walkman, nonstop, everywhere, and a pack of batteries. That's how you survive. <laughs> yeah, the crazy thing about that, you're like just like literally carrying like bag full of cassettes everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, you're carrying a bag full of cassettes with your Walkman and a and a, and a pack of batteries. Yeah, you can't, and now it's now is your lifeline, man. And mixtapes, just making making mixtapes. I mean, like having, you know, I had, you know, once I started collecting a lot of music, I was kind of like that, like 
and it's weird, like, you know, in regards to, and we'll get more into like kind of the personal things, but it really, you know, it starts to lead into like, you know, how music is digest as a teenager for me, like through mixtapes and how my friends got into all the music because I was able to share it, you know, right. it's, it's a different way how people share it. It's similar to how people share music now, but just a lot different. So yeah, it's like instead of sending a link on Messenger, it's like you give somebody an actual mixtape or yeah. I mean, it was one of those. It was just one of those things where if you liked a girl, you would give them a mixtape, and then you'd be in the friend zone. That's how it worked for me. <laughs> like the girl, you give them a mixtape, and then you're in the friend zone. <laughs> was, like, it, was, was, was it? Was it like? Is like just that's like the that? Way it always was, man. It's, it's like, like, oh, you care enough to give me a mixtape? Like you're, you're a good friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That's how they, you know. That's how it works, you know. Me, me like, I no. had to know. <laughs> it's like it's like the, the, like if I treated them like an asshole, then you know, then I was in like you know whatever. But I wasn't that dude, so I had a lot of girls in the friend zone. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's just you know, it's just the way that works, <laughs> right? <laughs> what well, I mean, I'm sure listening to Pesh Mode uh, as you're growing up and really kind of shaped like some of your sensibilities with certain things or it was like a kind of soundtrack to your experiences at in those in that time and everything so you can definitely say that you know <laughs> you, you can definitely you can definitely say that like it definitely shapes uh you know like <laughs> it's one of those things like you know like going into when we start talking about like my first concert I mean, it was like the first, that, that year was like the first of everything, you know, like, right. Like the first of everything, you know, I was like 15. So it was like, like 1986. I was, you know, basically almost turning 15, 16 years old. Like I was ninth grade. So everything was just like, you know, everything is coming up, you know, right. It's all your true adolescence. It's all connected know. to Depeche Mode in a lot of ways. <laughs> Oh yeah, you know yeah. your first experiences with like with uh, the lower regions and shit. It's <laughs> all based around black celebration, right? And then that's, <laughs> a, that's a that's a sexual album anyway. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. I mean, and then there's a, and that ends up tying into a lot of you know relationships. You know, it it it, it was like every album. It was it seemed like it was kind of a kind of a different relationship in each album <laughs> so there's yeah. always kind of a, a moment that ties in with a lot of the albums it's, it's, it's that's kind of interesting with music too yeah definitely and depression <clears throat> definitely on those bands like there's some of their music uh i connect with like certain experiences in my life as well you know like certain periods of time certain relationships like Particularly the more like destructive, like <laughs> kind of yeah, those too. Yeah, those kind of kind of relationships. That's that's more of Depeche Mode, uh, self-destructive, destructive relationships and stuff. But um, yeah. Well, I guess let's see. let's let's go through the albums and then we can then we can go from there and then free form it. Tag on it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so obviously Depeche Mode formed and their early 80s i think they started formed like 80 or was it like 79 let me see no they formed in 80 they're from essex yeah and uh yeah so their first album 
was Speak and Spell, which had um, what's his name, Vince Clark. Yeah. So I mean, kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, like in regards to Speak and Spell and that whole pocket when they started putting music together. Um, before they put out Speak and Spell, you had you had um, of all people, it was you know Fletch, kind of was like kind of the kingpin with Martin. It was like more Fletch and Vince that created Consequence of Sound, which was like kind of like an electronic kind of a ambience band that was started right before the like right when the Peshbo was you know like kind of in its infancy, and then once they once they got Martin on board, then they formed the Peshmo, but they still didn't really have a lead singer. Gotcha. Um, so from that point, you know Daniel Miller was the kind of the head honcho for meat records that was really trying to uh <clears throat> so basically with mute records he was trying to have, hey, the main people they had on mute was was fad gadget and then the normal which was Pete, daniel miller which did a lot of production on a lot and still is very intimate with fresh water a lot of the production for almost all their albums in some form of fashion he has some type of it he's kind of an advisor for them he's always been in their pocket because he is he is the owner of mute records right so it- when they put together fresh mode they had vince in mind to sing and vince was like no <laughs> yeah because he's just so crazy introverted. So they went and headhunted and found Dave. Gotcha. And then that's when they kind of put Speak and Spell together. So Speak and Spell was kind of like this hodgepodge album where they were just really trying. I personally feel they were trying to find their way and figure out what their sound was. Yeah, that's that's what I think of Speak and Spell as well. And I, you also have, there's in some ways it, it feels a little like, out of place in their career because I feel like um, uh, I feel like they found their sound on the next album, but it's like with this one, it feels very much like you have the element of, of Vince Clark being in the band it brings a little bit of that erasure ness to it. You know what I mean? Well, like the Yaz erasure ness a little bit. Yeah. Where it's well, like that, not... one, that was the that was the thing with. Um... The Peshmo with Vince being in the band, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be in that limelight necessarily. Like he was too introverted. They wanted to be pop stars. And so they were trying to write this pop music that was just pretty convoluted. So I mean, when you look listen to Speak and Spell, I mean, there's a few good songs on it, but if you start listening to going from when Vince left the band after that album and decided to create Yes and pretty much compete with Depeche Mode. It was kind of like, okay, I don't want to be in this band anymore, but then all of a sudden he gets Allison Moyer, which then, you know, turns into Yaz, and then once Allison got annoyed, turned into a Razor. Yeah. So it's like... But, I mean, yeah. It's like, you can kind of hear that element on Speak and Spell, like, um, so, I don't know. I feel like it's it's probably... I don't think it's a bad album, but it's it's definitely one of my least favorite. It's it's probably my least favorite next to the the worst ones we'll get to for me. Just because I, I just think that if it doesn't really feel like uh Depeche Mode like really to me in a lot of ways, you know, it feels very what? 
I just feel like it was trying to cater to a certain audience. I feel like it was very, you know, it was definitely, it felt like they were really trying to capture like an alternative audience. Like they were really trying to capture like the goths and then like the, and the gays. And they really wouldn't have like that, you know, that seedy type of environment. I felt like was speaking spell in certain, certain songs. It just felt very disjointed. And, you know, and then once that kind of split up and he was doing, they were just doing that stuff with Yaz. And then they became popular really before the Fresh Mode really became popular. It was very awkward. So yeah. I think once you go into the next album with Broken Frame, it's a whole different animal. It's a whole different beast, really. Yeah, I think that uh, Broken Frame is... is is like where Depeche Mode kind of come into their own. And I remember that like back even when, like when I was a teenager I had Speaking Cell and Broken Frame on vinyl. And I remember even thinking of that then was, was like yeah, Broken Frame like to me feels like the band like finding their feet a little bit. You know, they still had a little while to go, you know, to really put it together like 100%, but this is where it gets a little bit darker. It's a bit more minimalist. You know, it's 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 got um just like, a, I don't know, I feel like it's a, it's a darker album, Speak and Spell. It's still not as dark as some of their later stuff, but you know, like it's... Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely got like a handful of songs off of Speak and Spell. Like, I mean, obviously you have like, you know, Just Can't Get Enough and Dreaming of Me and like you know, and New Life, which was their which was their singles off of that album. But I mean, obviously, like I mean, there's some songs I like on it. Like I like I like Photographic, I like Puppets, and I like um and I like Tor Tor Tor. But I don't like the popular songs on the album. I don't like the Just Can't Get Enough. I hate that song. Yeah, I mean it was just you, you could tell they were really trying to, you know, be top of the pops. You know? Yeah. I think I think Depeche Mode it just wasn't natural for them. That's like yeah, when you got to a broken frame in nineteen eighty two and it was like Vince Clark left and it was and this was before Alan Wilder really started writing on the album on their albums. Like it was it was just like Martin and and um and uh and Dave and uh, I think Martin Prince just like mostly just wrote all the songs, but you know I think I think with um, broken frame. I mean, it's a lot more ambient sounding in a lot of ways. I feel like, and just I don't know, more minimalist and darker. Well, so. I think with a broken frame, you know, obviously with you know with Vince being gone from the band, I mean, it was Martin trying to figure out like how the fuck am I gonna put an album together by myself because yeah. Dave didn't write. Not then. Fletch was just the business manager just behind an unplugged keyboard. You know, you had Alan in the kind of in the musician front. You know, he was the musician of the band, you know, until he left. And he started, what? he had joined up, like, kind of in a broken frame, but... But he didn't, know, he didn't record on the album at all, you know? No, so. he joined up after the recording of this album. Yeah, on construction time again, the next one is, like, when he really started applying. So I feel like that's why this album is a bit more minimalist because it's basically it's Martin trying to write all but these songs. A, but it's definitely a really, it's a very vulnerable album. 
I mean, it really is. Like, I feel like it's it's just you could tell like it was like okay, wh- what am I gonna do? <laughs> like, yeah, there's songs on there that are I feel that are really good. Like even like "See You" was probably the popular song, and "Leave in Silence." I like "Leave in I Silence." Mean, it's a good one. "Leave in Silence" is a really good song. I mean, it's 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 very just very just black and white. Just it's pretty flat. Good. I feel like the majority of the album. It's pretty dark and it's a pretty solid album. I mean, really, there is really not a bad song on this album. I ain't gonna lie, it's pretty clean, like all the way through. Yeah, I would like, agree. Like, I mean, like side one, like Leave in Silence, My Secret Garden, Monument, Nothing to Fear, See You. Like, that's like just all of them are good. Satellite's yeah. a weird song. I feel like when I listen to that song, it feels like there's a like kind of a reggae influence to it. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's like it's like I felt like it was like the Fudge Boats version of trying to do a re- a reggae song, like a blues really song feel, or something. <laughs> like I really feel like that song, and when I listen to it, it it's just kind of like like it's just a weird. I mean, it's minimal, but that's just how I feel about it. It's like their version of like if they were to put together some type of reggae song, that would be satellite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably my least favorite on the album. <laughs> I think yeah. that song, a photograph of you, is the one that I don't that that that's the least favorite one now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Side two is not as good as side one, but I do love the sun and the rainfall. It's a great song. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing too with um with uh, Memento Mori, they're talking about bringing that song back into their fucking rotation. Oh, cool. And they've never done that song live, really? like since like the fucking like since Black Celebration. Like they never put that song together live. Oh, that's cool. And that yeah. would be a really cool song. And I, I mean, I imagine they would put the arrangement together a lot different now. But the core, the basis of the song is there. You well, know, what I mean, I think it's interesting because with this album, uh, when we get to some of their later ones, you like when um, Alan left and everything. Particularly some of the newer ones, some of the stuff that that Martin's put together on some of the newer albums kind of remind, particularly um, Delta Machine, kind of reminds me of some of the stuff on this album where it's more minimalist, like you know, just synth-based stuff. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean when he when I, when Alan left the band, he totally went. You know, he tried to find a bunch of analog synthesizers and and all this old school equipment and really started to like knob tweak on a lot of the albums after yeah so I, really after ultra i mean because they had they had no choice but to change their sound because yeah I mean, they've been riding the the the, the shirt off of alan wilder's <laughs> back pretty much from a broken frame all the way to to songs of faith and devotion. I mean, yeah. really, you know. I mean, it, it's he was. I mean, he was the he was the cement in the group. As much as like I, I'm kind of like whatever. I mean, but I think that's the thing about the Pesh Mode. That I would say the only thing I would say about the Pesh Mode that's very frustrating is they never their musicians are an afterthought. Yeah, <laughs> like they don't. They they kind of just put them on their albums. Like Alan just fought for him being a fourth member of the band but if they had their way i mean even on a broken frame 
and on construction time began on the first versions of the album he was not listed as a member well it, <laughs> he was listed as a musician so. yeah well i don't think he even played on broken frame though so but on construction time again he he was not yeah he was he was on that for sure and, and they just listed him as a musician at first <laughs> yeah man and they do the same thing now with the band that's been with them for 20 plus years yeah <laughs> i mean the pest mode would be once we go into the later albums the pest mode's not the pest mode no more it's basically dave's solo band with martin gore right yeah <laughs> I mean, because I mean, it, it, it's. I mean, if it wasn't for Dave doing his solo shit, there wouldn't be no Depeche Mode. Yeah, at, as, at this time, because I mean, their sounds completely changed, and it sounds a lot like Dave's solo stuff once yeah. he did, like you know, Paper Monsters and Hourglass in particular. Like, I feel like the rest of Depeche Mode's music is based around those two albums. Yeah, like, from playing Angel on, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah the i think broken frame i think it's a good on a good album overall the um but then they did so yeah so then in 1983 it's crazy because each album just came out one year after another you know oh yeah and, they, were, they were hitting them every year and yeah i mean and, they toured like crazy for every album every year and they were still putting out albums every year yeah, and then and they put out construction time again, which I'm gonna be honest, I don't really like this album very much. This is a weird album because the the this is where like, um, I believe that um, Broken Frame was done with Daniel Miller and Martin Gore. Martin Gore pretty much put together Broken Frame. That album was pretty much his vehicle. Yeah. When you go into construction time again, and the, and a few albums after that, it's all Gareth Jones, which I believe he was in. God, what band was he fucking in? I, I want to say he was in Bad Gadget, and I want to say he was in something else. I can't remember. It's leaving my brain. The, yeah, he, the pro- he, he was a producer that really kind of changed their sound for that pocket. He was work. He worked with. Um... Answers in New Bouton, Wire, and Erasure. Some yeah, of the main ones. So you know, so, I mean, that's that's the you know the the biggest thing with him is that you know he had a big stamp on like how the sound was like with the construction time again in particular. They use a lot of um, they use a lot of recording of like nature sounds, live sounds. They use a lot like between construction time again to Black Celebration. It was his footprint on a lot of the music, so it yeah. kind of changed the sound a little bit. They, I think he wanted Gareth really wanted their sound to be a little bit more beefed up and not quite as minimal, which I think helped him and hurt them in ways. So yeah, well, I think I think I think um, when we get to the next couple albums, it it really worked good. Like and like some of the ways I know that they recorded, particularly for Black Celebration, like where they were blowing like. They record the samples and run them through like big, huge speakers, like in Hansa Studios, and then record the speaker sound, like to get yeah. these like bigger sounds. And I think that made a big difference. But they're also working with um, didn't they start working with Flood on um, 
They work um, with Flood on Violator. Is it Desolator? Okay, yeah. I thought I wasn't sure if he worked with them on construction on uh, Black Celebration as well. But he, um, but, um, no, no, it was but, Violator in particular. But, Violator but, and a little bit with um with Songs of Faith and Devotion. Okay, yeah, but for this one, yeah, you got Daniel Miller and Gareth Jones working on production with Depeche Mode, and this one you had Alan Wilder wrote. Got a writer credit on two of the songs. Yeah, he wrote Two Minute Warning and I believe at, and then I think. It's uh the landscape is changing. The landscape is changing, okay. And yeah. and uh two minute warning, right? Yeah, those are the two, yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that, you know, he was trying to put his little like, you know, he was trying to really be like, Hey, I want some creative juices in this band you feel i felt like with this this album was very like this was the album that was kind of there's songs on it that's really good but it, it's really just a regurgitation of like parts of a broken frame and parts of some great reward like it felt like a slaved album well it's kind of in between it's like that it's that, that real in between album where it's got elements from broken frame and it's got elements that will turn that they'll like turn into gold with some great reward. You know what I mean? Like for the next one. Yeah. But it's kind of like I don't know. Some it has some songs that I just hate. Like I think Pipeline is just terrible. Like I don't like that song at all. <laughs> it's a, it's just a hard it's a hard listen. I mean, I feel I feel like it was just kind of a mold and make album for some great reward. But there was some really good there was good songs on an album, but it was definitely not one of my favorite albums. Sure. No, yeah, and I've tried to give it more of a chance. It just doesn't doesn't really do it for me. There's something about the album that I don't, I don't it's hate dated. it, but it's, it's just dated. like, what's that? It just feels dated. Yeah, I think it. I think that's maybe part of the problem is it feels very dated. It feels very like, uh, it's like it's like that kind of '80s dated sound when it's, when it's not not a good thing. Like sometimes you like you want that '80s sound. But this one is it's like it's like dated in a kind of not a great way. So it's one of the albums like if you take, you know, I mean obviously with Exciter, I think that like Construction Time Again is in, in the bottom of the tiers. I mean, we've ranked and filed all their albums so many fucking times. But it's definitely in the lower ranks of their Yeah. They're I mean, not so good albums. It's not a bad album, but it's definitely it's 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 mashup it's, at best. For me, it's definitely in the bottom. Like I would say that, yeah, both "Speak and Spell" and "Construction Time Again" are 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 on the on the bottom of the list. But but yeah. But then with you know with the next album, which is around the time you got into him in 1984, the "Speak and Spell" not "Speak and Spell," uh, sorry, uh, "Some Great Reward," which came out 24th September 1984. So it says here, I think this is. This is like the first great Depeche Mode album, in my opinion. Like, I think some great reward like is a is yeah is amazing. Like every song, like it has has some of their best songs that they ever written to this day. You know what I mean? There's not a bad album. There's not a bad song on the album. No, honestly, there really isn't. Like the whole album is solid. Like yeah. every song on the album is is pretty. I mean, every song is solid. Like they're really, there's not a song I can sit there and say that it's bad. I mean, no. I, I, I mean, literally, literally every single song on here is great, and and this is where they really start getting that codified like 
uh, Martin Gore, like, br- fucked up relationship lyrics, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, lie yeah, to me. A, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and lie to me to this day is still my favorite Fresh Mode song. That's your like, favorite? All of them, of any of them. Yeah. That's the one. That was the one that just, that I would say that was the one once I bought, when I bought Some Great Reward. That was a song I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the template of like any album that you bought in the 80s, 90s, probably even to this date. Track two has got to be the banger. Yeah. Like, track one is like, okay, we're just leading you by the hand, but track two has got to be your heavy hitter. If you have a bad track two on an album, the album's not going to be that great. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a, gotta have the the best like the best song on track two I, I don't understand i think it was just a formula especially in the 80s it was definitely a, and i'm sure it was a formula just in, re- in the way people make records but i think that track two is supposed to be like for me i feel it's the uh this song it might not necessarily be the hit but that's the one that should stand out yeah it's always been for me when i listen to an album that's always like i don't go to the first track i go to the second track on any album i listen to before i when I first pack it open or listen to it on the social media or whatever, I don't start from the beginning. I always start from track two. Always. Yeah, I do the same thing. I always check track two first. I think it's also because a lot of times I, there's a lot of bands that do the first track as kind of like almost like an intro track or something. So then, right. yeah, the, I think the second one is the one that, that, that kicks it off really. And I think that's the thing that's kind of annoying now when it's like a true intro, then it's like, okay, now it's track one. <laughs> like, right. kind of annoyed. but i still treat track two as is the important track like i feel like if track two is usually good on an album album is usually pretty listenable yeah this one i mean you got lie to me and of course you got like people with people or it doesn't matter um master and servant i mean it's great and blasphemous rumors which is one of my one of the best Depeche Mode songs as well. Like this one, Blasphemous Rumors and Lie to Me are like two of the best Depeche Mode songs that they ever made, I think. Well, I mean, this was the album for me that this was the first album I really, I mean, I bought like People Are People, which is pretty much like a slaving of like Some Great Reward and Construction Time again. Like it has a lot of weird tracks. It's more of an EP than anything. And then I bought Some Great Reward once I bought some great reward and really was just like, boom. I mean, I wore the damn song. I wore my cassette out. Like the words were rubbing off that motherfucker. So, so once I did that, then I ended up landing a copy of the, um, the some great videos. And then you get to see kind of all the video on VHS. I'm basically from that point back. So then you really like able to get a real good taster of everything. And then the catching up also had the videos and all that shit too. Well, you you got to see like the <laughs> the like the image and everything that they had going on too. You got to like kind of because I think the best mode, particularly by this point, the image was important too. Like they're all like in black, like looking like you know looking cool. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, very- yeah, I mean. I was like basically at this point I was by this point I was in eighth grade you know so for me it was like this is when I first started dyeing my hair this is when I started started like wearing my hair like in all these fucked up 
ways and shit. So for me, it was just a lot of, you know, you know, exploration of who I was as a person. You know, that was the time where everybody thought like, well, he's probably homosexual. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, that, it was, that's, it was that's, 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 I might look, I might look and I might, I might smell and look like a homosexual, but I wouldn't want a homosexual. <laughs> and that's okay to be one. Maybe not the 80s so much. It was definitely not. Um, I mean, with, you know, for me, you know, the age was a fucking death sentence, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you automatically, and living in the South in the 80s, like, they could smell that shit. And, I mean, it was just real funky for me because, I mean, I was a guy that was listening to hip-hop and had my hair in a fucking mohawk and fucking wearing goddamn, goddamn Adidas and, like, pink cardigans and shit and talking <laughs> like a black person. And people were like, what the fuck is going on with this kid? <laughs> You also played football too. And I played football and I sang choir and I was a mess. <laughs> so they didn't know what to think of me. And I had friends with everybody. I mean, I was friends with like, you know, black people. I was friends with theater people. I was friends with gay people. I was friends with, you know, a bunch of different people. Yeah. But yet didn't feel a part of any of them. <laughs> And I think that's the other thing with the music that it just kind of puts you in a in a moment where you have some type of connectivity, which is always good. Yeah, it's but yeah, good. it was just it was very awkward, and especially when you started looking at that, you know, people are looking at you a certain way, and you know, you start to emulate some of the styles that you're listening to music wise. So I mean, I went from like you know, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like I was wearing anything fancy when I was fucking twelve. Right. <laughs> I was fresh out of tough skins and shit, you know? Like, <laughs> now I'm like, okay, I'm wearing like paisley shirts and my hair is bleach blonde and it's like fucking 10 inches high and all right, bangs and all this crazy shit looking like some like Barbie girl electrocuted, you know? <laughs> George Michaels. George Michaels with an S. <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely different. I mean, people look at you strange, don't know what to think of you. And, you know, this music was definitely for the fucking misfits, for sure. Right. I mean, uh, the, um, yeah, Depeche Mode, I mean, I, I think that's a great thing about them is they managed to get big and they're, they're definitely for the weirdo people, you know, which is great. The, um, I think the thing with this album, too, that I always really liked is, um, I probably heard Skinny Puppy before I heard this album, but hearing this album and hearing like blasphemous rumors, I was like, man, Skinny Puppy, obviously you're listening to fucking Depeche Mode. You know what I mean? Like, like influenced by Depeche Mode because, because there's like on song like blasphemous rumors, there's like a straight up like industrial sound to it. You know what I mean? That was definitely, uh, I would say that was like out of all the songs that Gareth Jones did with Depeche Mode, that was definitely, I feel like, where he had the most influence and it actually defined, defined a sound for them that worked. Yeah. But it had an aggression to it, but it was very minimal. It felt very cathedral and it felt very ethereal and it felt very depressing all at the same time. Yeah. It had this kind of like aggressive, dirgy quality to it, like the, the drum beats and everything. Yeah, so I mean, you know, that was definitely, you know, going into those albums and going into catching up with the Fresh Mode where, you know, 
that was when this the, like I mean you had like the album that had all of everything on it, you know. It's all the singles, like yeah, yeah. That, that's but, when you got "Shake the Disease." It's like the "Shake the Disease" is one of my other favorite songs. Of yeah, it, but it also has one of the worst songs they have. Like "Flexible" is a really terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> those were the two songs they built for this album. Was "Flexible." It's called "The Heart" and "Shake the Disease." We're all in made for catching up. And right. Honestly, like it's called "The Heart's Okay." The video. Yeah, that's not that great. But yeah, the, but flexible's it, terrible. Like flexible could have been flexed right the fuck out the album. Yeah, they <laughs> put something else on there. It's interesting though that they did like a best of singles collection type of like a release, but then they made songs just for it as well. You know. Yeah, and just because they had to have a hit, it's, it's just that mentality back then. It's like, okay, we need to create a hit, we need to create a song, we need to create a song that's going to be on the radio. Yeah. That's, that's just the way it was back in the 80s, you know. Then, you know, once you go and you're able to go rewind all that back, and, you know, 1985 is when I was really, you know, starting to get my music collection up. Really, 1985, it was like that's when I was starting to just buy music like crazy buying vinyl, buying tapes, buying CDs, buying posters like the posters. And my like, god, if I wish to like, have just to have some of those posters, would be just like it would be worth so much money now, right? <laughs> like, so many, like, you would get these big subway style posters that were like you know, 24 by 36. You know, like when we were doing stuff at the Silver Core, we would buy those subway style posters that I would buy that big size. Those yeah. were the type of posters you could get in the record store for like twenty bucks. Right. Those are like all that... your favorite bands. They're fucking so cool. They're so huge. What is like the big amounts of wall? What you had um didn't you 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 and Mary got the Ramstein one when you saw Ramstein? That was like that style. Like yeah, that, I still have it. It's up in it's up in the gym of intentions in my house right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gym of great intentions. <laughs> the um yeah those those big posters are cool like the big big like wall size ones yeah, did, did you get did you get like like a depeche mode poster oh i had a few of them i had the catching up poster i had the i had a couple for violator like i got from the concert like so i had the one of the world violation tour i had um one for the for the single for Master and Servant. I had in a bunch of like ones that were in magazines. Right. But the big ones I had those three that I can remember. And I had um a lot of cure ones. Like I had a big Boys Don't Cry poster. Like I had a big um disintegration poster. I had right. like I mean, God man. Like and it's funny because I have a friend that that we did for a short period of time. She has all of her shit, so right all the posters. She saved everything. the ones that the one that introduced me to the cure. She has all of her posters. They're all categorized. They're all labeled. They're all fucking put away like in her life library of shit. Yeah, archive. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like, man. I mean, there's a part of me that can't have that kind of. I can't have that much stuff in my life. Like God, like some of that stuff on my like, man, if I still had that 
<laughs> yeah, I wish it did. <laughs> but yeah, then you know, leading into the next album that you're going to talk about is kind of where everything kind of came together. That's when my that's when that's when all of the the true fandom really I mean it was already pretty established, but once well, we I... got the black celebration, yeah. Yeah, and that's the next one is Black Celebration came out came out on uh seventeenth of March nineteen eighty six. And uh this album uh again, yet another perfect album. Like just like like some it's like some great reward and then now I got Black Celebrations like there's not there's really not any bad songs in this album either, you know? No. Like yeah, it really is not. Like and it's a it's a really great album. Like again, this one is even more feeling more like uh, dealing with like these kind of fucked up relationship stuff. This one albums that definitely have tied to certain like fucked up relationships in the past. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that self destructive where you like like hate fucking people and stuff. Like that's kind of like what this album feels like. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird album because I mean, you know when. This was the tour that I first started watching Depeche Mode live. Yeah, this is the first time you saw them, right? Going forward. You know, so, you know, when you think of, like, when you go to a concert, anytime you go to a concert, you don't want to listen to the shit on the new album. You want to hear all the bangers. Like, you don't want to hear the Most of the times when there's a new album, you don't want to hear them play everything from their new album. You want to hear the shit you want to hear. And that's kind of like how Black Celebration was. But the thing about Black Celebration, it was such a good album. But the thing was, a lot of these songs did not translate well live. Uh-huh. So they didn't do a lot of them live. They did a few of them live. Like, I remember, like, off the top of my head, if I was, I mean, they did do, like, you know, Black Celebration, Fly on the Windscreen. They did, uh, they did Question of Lust and did Stripped. Yeah. But I think that's it. You know, I don't think they did, but not tonight. But they did, like, you know, that, those were the four I remember live. The stripped was, I think they opened the set with stripped. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this album, this album is a little bit more like, it's kind of got that cinematic quality that they're going to, like, expand upon on the next two albums, like, a little bit where it's flowing, like, the songs, you know, like, it's got this kind of like more cinematic experimental quality with like the recording again, like from, you know, Gareth Jones. Well, I, I really think black celebration is kind of setting the st- I feel like black celebration is a really good album. It's like, I feel it's the last album where you feel like the bubble gum's going away. Like if there was any sense of bubble gum that was going to be with them, it's going away in itself. Cause this album is pretty, like it was pretty dark and pretty ambient and pretty like slow. I mean, like you had Black Celebration, you had Fly on a Windscreen, you had Stripped. I mean, they were all pretty like you know, but most of the other songs were very just aloof. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, like a question of us is like my Martin Gore's attempt at trying to sound sing like a soul singer kind of you know like, and then he got like. It doesn't matter, or like here is the house, which are very world full of nothing, which are very like ambient, like kind of like this one also has a lot of uh, Martin Gore songs more more than 
yeah more than more than usual like like he sings like uh he sings a lot of the songs he sings about half the songs yeah but so i mean it was definitely one of those ones where you felt like okay this is kind of the beginning of the end of this first wave of what the fresh is going to sound like yeah, and it felt like the, it said that you could tell that Alan was starting to become more and more in the in the front view of the band too. Because I think like once you go, definitely when you get into music for the masses, that's Alan's that's Alan's album, right? Yeah, <laughs> I feel it was like Alan influenced heavy on that album. Yeah. Like, and, and that's where you get the true cinematography, the cinematic feel is with music for the masses. That celebration was kind of preamble to it. Yeah. There was still some good songs on this album. And I feel like about, I would say three quarters of it is, I mean, it's still a good album, but it, it definitely was a weird album to start off with them live. But I mean, obviously I had enough songs that you were fine. <laughs> I mean, I've seen videos uh, or pictures of them from this tour, and it was they had a pretty cool like stage stuff for this one, didn't they? Yeah, they. And it's the thing about Depeche Mode; they've always had cool setups. Every show that I went to, and it's always been different. It's always been different, like not like something you don't really expect. It's never, never the same twice, really. Right. The um. Yeah, I think the closest thing to like a pop song in this album is not even really on the album, it's on the CD, it's the But Not Tonight song. Which yeah, is like, and that was, and the thing was with But Not Tonight, that was actually on the soundtrack for a really, really bad movie in the 80s. So, right. But I mean, I do like that song actually, but it's definitely a, if it feels like that song to me on the album when you listen to like the CD version, it feels like, you've gone through this like dark journey and then at the end it's like the end credits scene or something you know what i mean that's kind of how the, that song felt like to me yeah it, it's like you watched it was like you watched the murder Murders three and then they were like all right it's time to go <laughs> bye 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 get the fuck out of here yeah it, 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 they literally slapped that song on the end of the album yeah it's the per, it's the personal jesus of that album but better like because i actually like better tonight I don't it like personal Jesus. the album at all. No, it's, it's definitely. But I mean, yeah, Black Celebration is definitely a very good album. Stripped was, I felt Stripped was a really good song for me. Like, I like the video a lot. I like the way the song sounded. I like the way, like, when you have headphones on, it's just like full. It's a full, rich album. The whole album is very atmospheric for me. Like, I really like listening to that album with headphones a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, it's definitely a headphone album that, you know, because there's a lot of sounds going on in the back, you know, like, and it's very rich. Like, it's definitely a listening experience album, and it's definitely an album, too, that you can play as a soundtrack to your life in a way as you're, like, doing things. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and that leads into the next album. <laughs> yeah, and... uh the um but yeah and we'll leave the next album next album came out in 1987 uh which is music for the masses and uh uh this was the album that kind of really launched them into the stratosphere 
like at the the top of their popularity was music for the masses and then violator really and it was like in the united states music for the masses was like you know like when when because i mean you had a behind the wheel and and strange love really that they were they were on mtv they weren't on the radio necessarily strange love was on the radio that's a good not yeah. crazy amount, but it would be on radio every once in a while. Um, yeah, but it was definitely an album where like you, they were getting their fucking bearings for sure. But it, it's definitely one of the albums that's very like it's very it feels very classical. Like it, like there was a lot there was like Alan Wilder was a lot of classical music when they put this album together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this album's kind of a funny one. Like, um, I like Strange Love, things he said. Uh, I like to have and to hold. Uh, I do think the album kind of, kind of loses steam as it goes on a little bit. You know, it does. It really does. It's 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 very again. It's another. I felt like Black Celebration and Music for Masses were both very ambient and very. Alan driven, but I, I, yeah, but I kind of feel like Black Celebration was a. I think personally, Black Celebration was a little bit better in this album. Yeah, I think like, so too. I mean, there was some good songs on this album, but it, it definitely was like okay, like it not, didn't. It's not a, an album that flows very well. It does. It's not as good as strange as as the last two. I think the last two albums were was like, like I've always loved. Uh, some great reward in Black Celebration, and I always feel like Music for the Masses was kind of like it's okay. It's got some good songs on it, but it feels a little disjointed. Even though it are trying, to, it's like, it's like it, they're trying to do the cinematic thing, but it doesn't flow as good as as Black Celebration necessarily. You know, the one thing about Music for the Masses that tour in particular was obviously the one on one tour was just like fucking like it wasn't the best show I saw him, but it was probably you know it was up there you know because it was just like there was just something about it, it would just you just felt like it was just a wave of people when you were sitting in the audience it was just like everybody was connected the music was very um I felt like you know especially then they do it to this day anytime you listen to like never let me down again it's like it's like an ant it's like the anthem like every that's like the anthem for the fresh people is never let me down like yeah and that song plays it's probably the most you'll feel together in the audience when you're watching the fresh Boat. to this day really? it's a song they could kind of now almost close with most they used to close with this song they usually close with this song most shows if not every show I've seen them, like right. since Music for the Masses, they usually close with Never Let Me Down Again. Sometimes they'll close with Personal Jesus, which is terrible, but usually they close yeah. with Never Let Me Down Again. It used to be in the middle of the show, but now they usually close with it. So it's definitely like, like I feel like a lot of the album, the cool thing about this tour and this album was 
OMD open for them. <laughs> right. So that was that was a I mean that was a really like solid fucking concert. Like you got to see OMD for like an hour and then the festival was on for two hours. And you know, they really only did like, you know, music for the masses was like an intro to the rest of the show. <laughs> you know, because most of their songs were very, again, very minimal, like a broken frame. But they were definitely different in regards. It just felt, it just felt basically like, I felt like I was in, it was just very, I can't describe the sound of this album. It's very weird, I feel. Yes, it's 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 got a lot of these kind of like ambient interlude type parts, you know, and, and then, uh, yes, it's not, um, it's a good, I think overall it's a good album. I don't, I don't think it's as good as the ones around it. You know what I mean? But I feel like, it was like a necessary step to the next album. And uh, yeah, definitely it was like the biggest. I mean, when you saw them for the 101 tour, was that at like an arena or, you know, an arena already? Um, yeah. Um, for the 101 tour, I saw them in, um, they were in a, they were, um, I saw them at the Omni in Atlanta. Okay. So it wasn't an arena show, but it wasn't like a stadium show. Yeah, it's not stadium. And most of their tour was in stadium. But I got to see him at the Omni, which was like in an it was like in an arena. So I mean, it wasn't as bad. It was at least indoors, right? It's but, like going to like the the Pepsi Center or something. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That's where like you know the Omni would, as a time, would be where the basketball team would play. Um, but yeah, they were. It was unfortunate because it was. A, I mean, the first two times I saw the Vesh Mode were both in Atlanta. They weren't in. In Tampa, was the there. was the last so celebration one at the same place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they were both in Atlanta. <laughs> at the at the Omni place, I believe so. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I, I know they were both in Atlanta. <laughs> right. Um. But Violator. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's... Violator. Oh my God. <laughs> when I was the next album, is and this is actually the first album that that. The band took more than a year to make it because the last music for masses came out in eighty seven. Violator comes out in nineteen ninety. And uh and this one yeah, Flood did help do production on it. It has a bunch of engineers <laughs> and uh Daniel Miller and this this one they didn't have um what's his name? Uh Gareth. Uh, Gareth, he did not. He did not take part in this. This Gareth one. was gone, but they got flooded. Yeah, because this they got is an album also where you figure for black stuff for music for the masses, they did like they did a hundred and one dates in the United States. They did like almost five hundred shows for that tour, and that tour lasted almost three years. Right. So you know, considering that they were on tour for two and a half years, they it's it's. It's they just went on a longer tour for for this for that album and for Violator. Violator was a very long tour. Like both those albums, they went on a very extensive world tour for both albums. Right, especially for fucking music for the masses, which was weird um, because it's not their best album, but they just had the funds. I mean, they just had the funds to do it. 
which set up, I mean, like, I remember for Violator, it was like, that was the longest fucking wait because of the fact that they were putting out albums every year. Right. So for us, it was just like, fuck, when are you guys coming out with a fucking album? And then now, you know, this album sets the template for eventually the four the five year pocket for, for albums. Right. Yeah. Oh, and I think, um, yeah, they're doing a touring for a long time. Took a while. I think this album, um, like I know that uh, Alan Wilder did a lot, even more music for this one. I guess Martin Gore like was more open to to like allowing them to put their input in. You know what I mean? And so it gives it a different different feeling between Alan Wilder putting even more into this than he even did with music for the masses, and then you got. Flood coming in and Flood of course was the producer who did like Jesus Mary Chain and and a lot of this kinds of stuff and then he went on to like after this he went on to work with like Nine Inch Nails and a million all kinds of people like he was pretty popular in the 90s well I mean the thing was that he did I believe he did the Joshua Tree right Flood did yeah I think he did Joshua Tree and also um uh yeah because before this he did uh he might have taken part as well in recording unforgettable fire and joshua tree and he did octung baby for you too but yeah so i mean it was just you know he was just that he was just that up and coming you know i mean he was producing some really crazy albums i can imagine that depeche mode probably listened to joshua tree and that album has a real cinematic quality to to it as well to like yeah. the real big sound and i'm sure that i'm sure that depeche mode were listening to joshua tree and being like yeah we want to get the guy who did this album well i mean you gotta think i mean it, it, it all ties together because i mean anton corbin was you know doing both. both of their artwork you know yeah. and anton's been doing this their artwork since thank <sighs> reward uh, music for the masses, I believe. Okay. Some great yeah. reward. They um, and, uh, so I think some great reward and construction time again. They worked with like some weird Norwegian guy. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that was like kind of the beginning to end when when Anton was coming into the fold. Right. But, like he's been it. in there since. Since music for since Black Celebration, really, I think it was Black Celebration when it came in, yeah. And, and um, that's what I think I'd have to double check, but yeah, the um, yeah, they had that connection with with Anton Corbin, and and I think too that like they probably were like uh, wanting that that type of big cinematic sound that they got on Joshua Tree, and also on this album is probably the most guitar, it's the first album that has like guitars really I don't think yeah and, and I didn't know how I felt about that at first I'll be perfectly honest with you like it took me a while to get used to but then once it all clicked in you're like okay this makes sense I mean I still don't think that you know Martin Gore is a guitar player but you know <laughs> I mean I like his guitar parts and like enjoy the silence he has great guitar parts and you know He's got he's got his own. The only time I don't really like his guitar is when he tries to do the stupid blues stuff, like on like Personal Jesus or something. You know what I mean? I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, 
He's he's so, not a, he's, a, he's, a, he's not a blues guitar player. <laughs> so I mean, Violator for me, like in regards to the tour, in regards to like you know that. I mean, I was almost out of high school or about to be out of high school. Just as you know, went from one you know relationship to another relationship at that time which was ironic because it's like the one relationship that that ended <laughs> ended up being my ex right. my ex-wife and then the one that started was kind of like whole other you know a whole other um whole other um component that i think kind of shaped what ended up happening later in my life yeah. Um, and it was just a very integral, crazy time, like for me, as coming into my age, being at that point 18, 19 years old. Yeah, you would have been what, 19 when this album came out? Yeah, and I was, I was like a junior in high school. So unfortunately, that's ridiculous in itself, but <laughs> that was the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, it was one of those things where there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that were going on and you're trying to figure out your adult life. You're trying to figure out your high school life. And it was a lot of, there was a lot of change, but there was also a lot of things that this album really, for me, like defined like, okay, this is your end of your childhood. This is the beginning of your adulthood. And this is how these songs will tie into the rest of your life. Yeah, I definitely think this album definitely has that that quality to it. Like, like a lot of these songs are really, like, really to like, you know, world of my eyes, sweetest, sweetest perfection, halo. Like all the songs, like waiting for a night, enjoy the silence, policy, truth, blue dress, clean. It's just like every single song except for personal Jesus is great and the album itself is better if you take personal jesus out which is what we always do because it doesn't fit personal jesus out yeah i mean yeah. and that's the thing you know like after you know we had like the hiatus like we didn't have here from the pressure mode for a couple of years you know then the first single drops and you're just like oh no <laughs> and then of course it hit the radio and exploded and everybody loved it. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> What's going to happen to my fucking favorite band? It's going to turn into a nightmare. Right. And that's kind of how I felt about it. I was like, oh, this is not good. This is this is bad. But, but, then, <laughs> but then the album came out. And you're like, why is this even on this album? And you just know, you find out later that that was the hit that they had to put on the album to get people's attention. Yeah. I'm sure, like, is it, was the second single, like, Policy of Truth? Uh, so I know that was a single because well, actually, I can look. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was Enjoy the Silence. Was, it was, was Enjoy the Silence, yeah. It's it shows Personal Jesus first single, which came out like a year before the album came out because <laughs> Personal Jesus came out, the single came out in like August of '89, yeah. It came but, out like almost two years before the album came out, so yeah. Stupid. But yeah, enjoy the silence, policy, truth, and world minds are the, the singles for this one. The uh, I like the video for policy, truth. 
I'm surprised though that they didn't release Halo as a single because that song is yep. a single. It is it is the PYT of Michael Jackson's thriller of this album. It's the best song on now. It's the best song on the album. And it never got released as a single. Yeah. It's definitely. It's just the way it works. I mean, it's definitely the best. I feel it's the best song on the album. I feel it should be the track too. Yeah. Track I do four. I do like Sweetest Perfection a lot though. It's a great song. Yeah, it's my least favorite song of the album, I'll be honest with you. But really? I know people that love the song, and I can't yeah. deny that it's a bad song. I I'm liking song. it more as I've gotten older, but it was definitely not my most. It was definitely the one I was like, okay, skip it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that song. It's one of my favorites on the album. I would literally go from World of My Eyes to Halo. That's this funny. is also the first album that I had on CD. Right. <laughs> I, I, I like. Sweetest Perfection is like one of my favorites on it. Um, I think that uh, aside from Sweetest Perfection, yeah, I mean, basically for me, the only song I don't like on is Personal Jesus. That's it. I like everything else on yeah. here. So, and, I mean, it was, a, it was definitely an album. I remember sitting for a day and a half to get concert tickets for the show out in front of Specs. Yeah, record store. Just sitting in the dark, sitting there for a day and a half, camping out for tickets for like, and I was I was sitting out there for like twelve people. I mean, I mean, this whole thought of the whole idea of sitting out like in a not so nice area <laughs> for a day and a half with like probably close to a thousand dollars in your pocket is not necessarily the same. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Like, what did you? Uh, I mean, how did you even? I mean. Did you like go with like a sleeping bag and just like <laughs> how yeah. did you even do that? Yeah, you go over in a sleeping bag and a fucking backpack and you sit there and you wait. Damn. That's wait. That's a long time to wait, dude. Dude, you just had your friends, you just sat there with a bunch of people talking mad shit. You have your little boom box out there playing music, smoking cigarettes until you fucking dropped. Yeah. And I, I remember I had um like one of my friends I was buying tickets for. I we had people that were runners that would drop food off, like oh, for yeah. us. Yeah, we're like fuck you guys. Got, I said we get tickets for y'all. Y'all can't. You guys because they couldn't miss school. But it was on a Tuesday. You had to buy these tickets, right? You know. So I mean, I remember I, I was. I mean, I was like fucking. I'm taking off school like nobody's business. Yeah. So I remember taking off school. I'm sitting there waiting in line, waiting for these fucking tickets, and I'm like, shit. I'm like probably 10th in line i'm like oh i'm gonna get fucking good ass seats you know yeah so i was pretty confident i was supposed to be getting 11 tickets so i was like okay i got 11 fucking tickets and it was i was sitting <laughs> out there me it was me and my brother we sat up there and camped out for the tickets and then we had a few friends that would come pop and drop come back pop and drop come back whatever you know and because we couldn't move the only time we moved was like my brother was there, me and him would just tag to me into the bathroom. That was it. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's how that rolled. But I mean, I feel sorry for the record store. They had to sit there. That's how it was in any record store. They had, you, you just had lines waiting and you just sat outside that place until it was time to get kind of like sneer grab when they would sit there and camp out for those stupid fucking snowboards and shit. It was like that. Dude. Right. Yeah. Stupid. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. I bet that was a great, a cool show, though, to see them. It was definitely one of the best concerts I've ever been to. 
but I've never waited for that. I waited in line for those tickets for a day and a half. And my ex, which was my ex-girlfriend at the time, and my ex-wife was waiting further back in the line, (laughs) waiting (laughs) for tickets. She came the next morning. I'm like, oh, no. And of course, you know, she's like sending like her brother up to me, like, oh, no, you're you going to the show. And I was like, this is so awkward. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it was like a real awkward situation. But that was one thing I remember. And I remember like um, my ex girlfriend that was with didn't come with me because she had to go to school. So it was just, it was just one of those things where it was just really weird. Um, right. A lot of things that tied into everything. And then I bought the tickets and then we, they, we collected, you know, over the amount because we didn't know how much the service charge was going to be. Right. So we had an extra like hundred bucks, you know? So we went and got like pizza buffet and shit. We were like, okay, <laughs> we got the tickets, we went and then, and then we told everybody come to the pizza buffet to click, collect your tickets after right. you guys get out of school. And they were like, well, where's our change back? I'm like, it's a service fee, motherfucker. Shit, this is yeah. what we're, we're eating this damn food, man. You're like, you're like, this is my service fee <laughs> for sitting there for y'all. I, mean, I sat there for a day and a half. I mean, it was a difference of like maybe 10 bucks a person. Yeah. And I mean, that was like 120, like 120 bucks basically that we made. But I'm like, fuck, we sat there a day and a half. Like, Yeah, you deserved a little, little money. Yeah. So you got people like, well, that's kind of fucked up. I'm like, did you sit out here a day and a half? Yeah, I was like, we could, we could just like, we could just, I could just get. I said, how about this? How about I just give you back your fucking money and I'll take your fucking ticket? Right. I was like, because I got the money, I had money because I I knew somebody was going to challenge me on that shit. I was just like, oh, you want to do that? All right, here's your fucking money back. Right. Yeah. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, what can you do? Like, why don't you go and pay for some damn food and come sit with us? And they got all pissed. We had a few people that got pissed about it. And I was just like, well, don't come, don't come running to me, you know. And they were like, well, what tickets do we get? <laughs> you know? Which really sucked because we didn't get the best tickets because it was like, I remember it was like one person got two tickets, another person got two tickets, one person got two tickets. And then the person in front of me got 60 fucking tickets. Oh, it was like a scalper. Yeah. So then they were like, oh, the 10 ticket limit. I was like, what? <laughs> And then they did a lottery pick. So that was the first show I had to experience to experience the whole lottery pick situation. Yeah. So that was really weird because then we had a pocket of tickets that where it was five was together and then the other six were in another pocket. So we had to kind of like be like, okay, who wants to sit with who? Because we have one pocket where there's five is going to be a this, and there's another one's going to be five. And it's, well, we couldn't get them all together. I'm like, well, here's the situation that happened. Yeah. So that kind of sucked. Other than that, the show was good. Yeah, they, <clears throat> it's like it's like you think back in the day, like when they're actually like sitting there controlling that stuff that they wouldn't allow scalpers to buy all those tickets. You know, nowadays it happens because they don't have any real control over it. But you know, it's the same thing. It's just a different, it's just a different way it happened. Yeah. When I saw this guy pull out a wad of money, I'm like, oh fuck! I was like, this sucks. Yeah, and I was like, "How many tickets are you buying?" He's like, sixty. I said, "Well, let's get in front of you." No, uh, it's like, man, motherfucker, man, and everybody was pissed. Like, yeah, so everybody's buying like two tickets, you know, three tickets, four tickets, and then they tried to put a limit on it, like four tickets, and those people that were buying like five and six, you know, they just in like two, three days and shit. I was like, this is ridiculous. 
Yeah, it's like ridiculous to let the guy buy sixty and then try to like limit other people. Like it's bullshit. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked real bad, dude. I mean, you're sitting there for a day and a half, and you're talking to this motherfucker, and then all of a sudden he comes up with a fucking sixty tickets. I was like, you piece of shit, motherfucker, man. Yeah, we wanted to whoop his ass for real. Yeah, (laughs) that's why. Yeah, I think scalpers are kind of like pieces of shit. I mean, we had friends that were out there. They were gonna rob his ass. Yeah, <laughs> there were there was people that were really considering robbing him, but he had a motherfucker picking his ass up right when he got the tickets. He got in a car, was gone, dude, because people right. were gonna fuck his shit up. Yeah, bad, dude, <laughs> An asshole. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. But um, I mean, the concert for that album was, I mean, it was Netzarev. It was Catherine Will opened, and then Netzarev and the Festival. Yeah, it's a pretty good lineup. Yeah, really good show. Saw yeah. them at the USF you gotta, Sundome. You got to see like Catherine Wheel and Nitzareb like when they're both like good bands. Well, I thought Catherine Wheel was a weird pick, you know, for the show, but it was like, you know, they always kind of pick a band that doesn't really sound like them sometimes. Yeah. That was probably, definitely one of them. I was like, huh? Probably because like they're, you know, they're starting like they're, uh, you know, like, I mean, particularly with the next album, it's kind of like they want to, Depeche Mode was like, we want to be a rock band, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. The, um, so, yeah, I mean, Violator was definitely an album that, you know, there's, there's, I mean, with the exception of Personal Jesus, and not a bad song on the album. And it was yeah. One of those ones where, you know, it was, it was at the clubs and just tied into a lot of things with the relationships and just, the music was just perfect, like just perfect music. You knew that they weren't going. The next album wasn't going to compare to that. You just knew they knew it. That's why yeah. they all went to drugs after that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with Violator, even like when you listen to like the deluxe C- CD and it has like all the B side stuff, like even all the B sides are great. You know, like oh yeah, Angelus, like I mean, CSN, Happiest Girl, Memphisto, like. <laughs> They used to play those at the clubs, and that was like really cool. They always played Dangerous and um, CSN and Happiest Girl. Not Happiest Girl as much, but they played CSN and Dangerous at the clubs. So yeah. it was cool. I mean, I mean, usually at the clubs they played CSN, they played Dangerous, they would play. You know, unfortunately, they would sometimes play Personal Jesus, but they wouldn't play it all the time. Though they would play like they would play like more like World in My Eyes and Halo. You know, so it was it was good, good yeah. stuff. The um, yeah. So the next one was, of course, three years later. So that's when we were starting that you know three year gap. We got uh, we got songs of faith and devotion. Songs of faith and devotion. And um, this album was again produced by Flood with Depeche Mode. And uh, um, is one is it, what's that? And lots of heroin. Lots of heroin. Yeah. And um, I think that this album, if you think about it, this is the album that created modern Depeche Mode. Like, like all their new albums kind of follow in in the footsteps of this one. You know, everything that they've done since this one is kind of. This what created like Depeche Mode for the past thirty years, you know, and um, 
like where it's electronic still, but it's got a little bit more of like a rock vibe as well at the same time. Um, and, well, I mean, it was it was definitely a different album when you. I mean, it was the album that Dave wanted to be a rock star. So he yeah. threw his hair out and he was just like, I mean, it was like it, like 120 pounds. Yeah. Well, and, uh, terrible. Yeah, terrible. I mean, and then by the time you get to the next album, he looks like he's about to die, you know, like a vampire kind of. Yeah, I mean, that's why they didn't tour for Ultra because yeah. there was no way. I mean, that dude was dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, this album, uh, I still think, like, this one, I remember when I first got into this album, uh, was it took me a little bit of time to get used to it because it was different from from their old stuff. But I mean, it has songs like "In Your Room," which is one of my favorite Depeche Mode songs of all time. You know, it might be my favorite. I I love that song. You know, yeah, that album song, the album on the on the on the, the cover, the one that the original version of it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> not not the one they put on the videos for some reason, oh, but the one that's on it. the album, <laughs> the version of it. Um, I would just say, you know, the thing about this album is like, you know, it just, it came and hit you in the face. I mean, I was like, oh, you, you, you. when you heard I Feel You and you saw the video, you were like, oh, oh, Lord. Like, yeah. oh, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. He does not look good. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's gonna die. <laughs> but, um, you That's know. a good song, too. I, I Feel You and Walking in My yeah. Shoes. I mean, I felt like, you know, for me, there's really, like, in this, uh, on this, in this album, I feel there's two songs that are not that good. The rest of them are all right. I'm even all right with Condemnation. Like, I'm all right with it, even though it's a fake gospel song. But uh, with Which one's the uh, one you don't like? Um, I'm not big on Judas, and I don't like Get Right With Me. Get Right With Me is probably one of the worst songs they have. Yeah, I agree. Me. Yeah, I think that's... it's like probably one of the worst songs that they have. Period. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's. I it's definitely. I think like their worst song, other than like "Shit Off Speaking Spell." Yeah, like, I think just. I think and that... the whole album, but Exciter. Yeah, I think with this one, the downside of this album is you're getting the uh, Martin Gore's attempt to be like sing gospel music and all the stuff that that i just don't like and uh and it's like from now on you always get like one song or at least one song where martin gore is trying to be like a old black woman you know <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> pretty much girlfriend let you know me tell I mean? you about the good old days it, it doesn't quite work for me you know or when he's trying to be an old or you know uh you know just those types of songs or it's like don't work for me as much. So this album has, yeah, those has those songs. It has condemnation and get right with me and Judas, which are all kind of in, in that kind of vein. I would say like this album was weird because I remember like at the time I was just breaking up with one of my ex girlfriends, but I still went with her to the show, which <laughs> <laughs> so was kind of weird. Um, and then I went with my brother and his soon to be ex wife. So that was just like you know it was like a weird album. Um, that that opened up for them, which was really they were really good live too. Um, yeah, that was for um, that would have been for uh, 
the I forgot what album it was for. I don't remember. I don't. I don't. I don't know the, the that one. Either way. yeah. So I mean, it was definitely post Johnny Marr because he was only on there. They're in their band for one album. Yeah, but um, thought that was really good. Um, and then they came out and they did really well. Um, they were. I think the thing about the album was like, um, Alan was playing drums the whole fucking show. Like he didn't even play keyboards. He Oh, played really? drums. Okay. Yeah. Alan played drums on this album for the tour. Like he might play one or two songs on the keyboard, like stuff for like music for masses where it was like a piano, a lot of piano stuff. Other than that, it was all like, I mean, that was like, you started to see also the band members start to shape up a little bit. They were, I mean, it was still the four of them. I don't think they had any support until, until, um, until playing Angel. Like, um, but this album was, it was really good. But, but the thing was, is that like, there was hardly no one there. Like, cause people expected Violator part two and it was not, I mean, Yeah. it definitely was not. I mean, that's, that show didn't even sell out. I mean, like a third of like, all, I would say like, like that place was like a quarter of the way full. Right. Like it was the floor and then like one section of like like three quarters. I would say like over half of the arena was empty That's crazy. for that album. I mean, and that was the first time I got front row seats. I got second row center for that show. Right. Uh, which uh Because they found a spot where they didn't know where Ticketmaster was, you know. It was like right a sporting goods place and there was no one there. And I mean, I figured out later that nobody cared to go see them. That probably helped, but yeah I mean, def there was definitely no one there, and there was no one behind me, and nobody knew there was a. I found out my brother was getting a fishing pole at a fucking sporting good place, and they had a ticket master there. I'm like, you guys sell tickets like right when they sell them, and they're like, yeah, they're like, people don't know about this motherfucking place. I'm like, fuck it, and that's where I would get tickets going forward until like things changed again. Right. I would get good tickets for shows because nobody knew there was a ticket master there. Yeah, that's a good deal. They uh to find a place like that. I remember tickets for that show <laughs> was forty five dollars Jesus Christ. for front row. Front For row. front row was forty five bucks. Dude, that's that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Two things to God and something then when like I that. saw them for fucking Delta for uh, Spirit for front row seats, four hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> you put another zero on it. How times change. <laughs> Yep. You put a zero on that. Yeah. The um <laughs> yeah, it I I think went from spending ninety to nine hundred dollars. nine yeah, exactly. The um yeah, this album I think overall I think is a good one. And it's one that grows Uh, yeah, on you over time, like like the yeah, more I listen to it over time, the more I like it, you know. And I definitely think it set the blueprint for their career going forward. In a lot of ways, yeah. because What was the beginning of the end of with Alan? You know. yeah, because on the next album that came out in '97, Ultra, Alan had left. So this was they were like this album. They were back to to basically like Martin and basically writing all the music. You know, and it's like it's a little. I think it's a more minimalist in a lot of ways. Um, 
it's real dark. I think Ultra is probably one of their darkest albums in a lot of ways. Well, yeah. I mean, this was the album where it was just the three of them. I don't think they really, they had had some people helping them, you know, with the music slightly. Um, but, I mean, this is when, I mean, Dave was literally, they were propping him up to sing songs. I mean, yeah. when you listen to, like, Sisters of Night, they said, like, you know, when I looked at documentaries, they were like, he didn't have a voice. Like, they, he'd barely speak when he was singing the song. They had to put so much effects on his voice to get it to sound like a voice. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, like, they said that but by the end of the album, like, when he went through recovery, it was, like, night and day for some of the other songs. But yeah. they said that Sisters of Night, Sister of Night, like, literally, he was, like, Hold up in his fucking bed and sweating of heroin, and he would come. He came out just and was slumped in a chair, seeing his fucking song. <laughs> that's it, and that's a great song too. It's one of the best ones on the album. It's like because they re- he recorded this song and uh, and Barrel of a Gun, and then he OD. Oh yeah, and then he then he like yeah, because he then he the like died. Time. This was he, the second time he OD. Yeah, it was like this. He like died. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's like and then and then they finished the album he was still in recovery like he I mean I don't think he was completely like clean when they by the time they finished it, right? That's why they didn't get two or four. He was in rehab. He, yeah. he was he was clean, but he was in rehab rehabilitation for Ultra. That's why they did the tour. Right. He wasn't healthy enough to to do it. Yeah. Like he they, they were he was healthy enough to do videos, but he wasn't healthy enough to tour. They were like they, they felt that the demons were gonna get him. Right. For songs of crazy devotion, I mean, dude, he was dude, he was he was destroyed. Right. So I can only imagine what he was for that album. Well, I was like, oh my god. Well if you look at the band picture in the in the C D like he is like he's just like a rail thin, like he looks like he's like on death's door, you know, like yeah that's crazy and you can feel that in this album i mean like barrel of a gun love thieves it's no good useless sister and night like it's just fucking bleak you know <laughs> yeah dude, it was just, it was it was just a really really it was definitely it, it sucked that they didn't like have a tour for that album but they and it's funny because, like, I felt like, I mean, maybe they did songs on Exciter for Ultra, but I don't think that they did, really. Like, they they always said that, like, playing the Angel was the tour for Ultra. Yeah, because... Well, and I definitely felt that by when I went. Well, I definitely feel like playing the Angel feels more like Ultra than... See, like, what happened is that then they took four years off and they came out with the worst album that has ever been released. <laughs> They've ever their worst albums they release, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've tried many times to listen to Exciter, and I just can't. I just can't do it. I mean, two thousand one was a weird year. It was like my best, my favorite band was a fucking mess. Everything in my life completely went on its end. Like I guess I fucking moved out of state, separated from my ex. Had no place to live, had no fucking job, had no nothing, dude. Like, I was like just turned, I was turning 30, yeah. 29. And dude, like, that was when everything changed. Like, it was a lot of change. Like, I lost everything, but then gained everything back. 
you know, it was just, that was just a year where I was like, what the fuck is going on, man? (laughs) But I remember that tour and I didn't go. It was the only time I have not seen Depeche Mode since you didn't go to Black Celebration. I I did not go to the Excited Tour. I thought you said you didn't. No. That is the one that I did miss because I was I was in life change. <laughs> right, that makes sense. I didn't have no money. I wasn't in a place to live. I was like, yeah, I guess this is a good time to not be into music right now. Plus, it's also the worst album. And yeah, I think and it's the album that the band themselves pretty much disown. And it, it really does feel like it feels like very odd, like the odd man out in their, their discography. It, I, I just pretend like it doesn't exist really in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I've never, I, I owned it for a second and I sold it. I was like, I can't, like I bought it because I wanted it because I was a fan and then I sold it because it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. No, it's a bad album. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, so it's like, we then took four years and released the proper uh, follow-up to Ultra, which was playing the Angel, which came out in two thousand five. Yeah, this and was a figured... new. This was the newest album when when we met, and uh, I I heard this first time because you played it for me, and then I went and bought it. So this was definitely the time to where. I believe I believe that the band kind of came into play for Exciter, but I wouldn't know. But I know that definitely the band was intact the way it is now with Plain Angel. Like, and you could tell by the yeah. sound of the band, you could sound of the music. It was when they really started. He started really fucking with analog synths and all the old drum machines that he was like accumulating all of this, uh, you know, old like doing a lot of things with like. Um, synthesizer you have to plug it in and shit i can't remember the name of them yeah the um the i forget yeah then whatever yeah the those analog ones i'm trying to remember the name i can't i can't think of yeah i don't know why it's like i mean they're they're kind of like moves but they're they're, they're a style of synthesizer bad bad can't yeah i can't i can't think it's like on the tip of my tongue I can't think. Yeah, but yeah, they, they start using uh, modular synthesizers. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, and, and um, that was when you really started to hear the sound change, you know. And then, of course, they had the computer on t- top of it. So, yeah, I think this album, again, though, I do think that it's building on, uh, building on what they did for Songs Faith Devotion and Ultra in a way, but then kind of changing it at the same time updating and uh this album has um some of my favorite songs from depeche mode of all time like a pain that i'm used to uh suffer well uh nothing's impossible the darkest star you know the center in me like those are all amazing songs you know and and some of these songs dave wrote like suffer well i wanted all nothing's impossible are all dave songs yeah, this was the first album where Dave had some um, influence on this song because he was starting to leave the band. Yeah. And he wanted to have some, you know, input. Plus, this was the first album where he had his band in the, in the, in the album. So he had a lot of, you know, strength 
to do that because the band would be nothing if he didn't bring his members from a solo project into it. I mean, art, art reflected into it. Everything reflected into it. It was like literally like, you know, I felt like playing Angel was good, but I definitely felt like Dave was very, had a, a big heavy hand on well, like. Not only how, that, but, but it's like the some of the best songs on the album is Dave's songs. Yeah. You know? And and it's like, and I want it all. Yeah, uh, nothing's impossible. Suffer well, like yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, the two worst songs on this album are Martin songs, which is John Revelator and and Macro or whatever. Yeah, not good. Damaged People is a good one from Martin, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously he wrote like Precious, which is a good. That was like the big single from this album. Uh, overall, I think this is a great album. It, it, like, it really just like there's. I don't like John Revelator. I hate that song. It's like annoying. And, uh, <laughs> I don't like. Uh, I don't like that macro song either. But I like the rest of the album. The rest of it's great. Yeah, this was the album I had just. I had just moved to Denver a year prior, and met Carl just around around this shortly after that. I, yeah, that's where you I know. You know. Um, and it's just one of those things where, you know, I was able to show Carl like all the newer stuff and all that stuff. It was just like, I think this was the album that, you know, Depeche Mode wise, we got to connect with because it was out. It was newer, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, it, this album has a lot of play in regards to like, you know, my experience first moving to Denver, creating music with Carl and then, you know, and then our friendship going from there, you know what I mean? So this album is a pretty, you know, important album in regards to like the kind of the second wave of my life. Like fucking I, you know, moved from out of, moved from a couple of States, cemented myself in Denver up until I left in 2021. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was like pretty integral. I remember seeing playing the angel at Magnus arena. Yeah, which was weird. I felt was the weirdest place to see them. It was like a fucking gym, right? <laughs> like it was just weird to see them in like a gym. I mean, it was just it was odd. It was an odd setup. It was like you were just sitting in bleachers. It was the weirdest shit. Like, yeah, I'm sure that was weird. That was back when they had a lot of shows at Magnus. They don't really have them at Magnus anymore. And they probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah, um. Playing Angel really is very connected to that time period of when we started the band and and like that whole that whole that whole time period like two thousand six two thousand seven like this album like very much is like tied to that for me you know and uh, and uh, and I just I think it's a great album it's one of my favorite Depeche Mode albums honestly it's a good one. I mean, most of the songs are good. Um, the tour was good. The show, the the music is good. It just you know, not I'm not mad with the album at all. I felt like it was it was the start of the aesthetic for the rest of their career. Yeah. And um, let's see. So the next album that came out was 2009. It was Sounds of the Universe, and this was a funny Weird. one because uh, <laughs> when it came out, I remember your. Uh, you got it, and we were listening to it. I remember we listened to it like in your car for the first time, and we both hated it. Like, Laugh. we thought it was terrible. We were we laughing had... at it. We were like, wow, this album's terrible. 
but then but then over time i've actually grown to really like this album <laughs> i know there's like really good songs on it i mean there's a few songs that are kind of like whatever but i mean the album is really it's pretty good i mean it's just it's just it's it has a lot of uh i think i think for me like uh yeah when i like the song like fragile tension that's a great one uh has a lot of great songs i think what threw me off when it first came out was after going from playing the angel which is dark very very dark very like kind of heavy and you know has this just like this really dark energy this album is like is different you know it's 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 not as dark as playing the angel uh but it's a good album you know what i mean well, I wasn't big on Rom or whole. I I cold the feed was okay, but it felt a little like much. But what I didn't like Rom at first. Now I don't mind the song, but at first I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. Like, but I liked in Chains. Chains. It was like a pretty good song, but I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" But yeah. um, but man, after I listened to this album, I was like, "What is going on? This album is terrible." But it definitely grew on me. I mean, because a lot of the songs I like right now, like, you know, like, like Come Back and Little Soul and Fragile Tension and In Chains and even Hold the Feet are all, like, I mean, that's the, I mean, I would say it's like two thirds of the album is good. The rest of it's kind of, eh, okay. Yeah. Is this, it's one of those ones that kind of had to grow on me. I think the more I listen to it, it's like, yeah, to have that many songs I like is a plus because at first I thought it was going to be Exciter Part Two. Yeah, exactly. And it turned out to be one of my albums that I like a lot, actually. Yeah, me too. Like, although, um, I don't. I think I think the one that came out after a Delta Machine, which came out in two thousand thirteen, I think Delta Machine is like one of their another one of their best albums as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a different album for them. Like, I mean, I felt with Delta Machine at first, it was like. Just feel like it was. I felt like it was the beginning of the maturation of fucking Dave's voice. Was in yeah. this album. It was when he he opened up the register of his voice. He really, you could tell he got lessons. Like he, his voice is rich in this album, and it's still like there's only a handful of songs that might. Eh. Yeah, I think. But, um, I think this album they they built on. Um, the kind of like minimalist stuff that they were starting modular sims and stuff they were working on with sounds of the universe but they this album like i think it works a little bit better than sounds of the universe in a lot of ways it's a little bit dark this album's darker it feels more like violator black celebration playing the angels more in that type of type of well, i felt like this album was like the album that they tried to make first for songs of faith and devotion like, this is, like, their true, like, I'm on the bayou of New Orleans. I'm going to try to do me a New Orleans album. Like, this was, <laughs> like, their, this was, like, their, uh, I felt like it was just, like, their soulful album that but, that was done right. Yeah, but it works. Like, Heaven, for example, is a really good, like, soul-sounding soul song, but it works. Or Yeah. yeah I would agree. And, but then also has, like, the really cool, like, um, like kind of like minimalist synth songs like soft touch raw nerve or broken which are like really cool yeah. like driving like kind of noisy synth songs yeah so it's 
it's definitely one of it ended up turning into one of my better favorite albums but it was definitely one of the worst times i saw them live <laughs> well, I but thought, a lot of reason because well, he had stomach cancer no that was when he saw him for sounds of the universe that's what we're talking about uh, uh well we, we started going in a delta machine as well so <laughs> sorry yeah yeah Delta Machine, like, I mean, it was good. Sounds of the Universe was like, yeah, like the like, album was good. But it's like, like it, but it was weird. Because you saw him at Red Rocks that time, right? Red Rocks. Yeah. yeah. But, and, yeah. and it was the, the opening band was really bad, too. So, Who opened for him that time? Uh, Peter Bjork and John or something like that. It's oh, definitely know. bad. The uh, but yeah, Dave DeCon did have stomach cancer during that time, so it was just and a I miracle that he was, was even out. <laughs> and it was, I think, uh, I think it might have been one of the only times I've seen him outdoors. Now that I think about it, I guess the only time I've seen him outdoors, yeah, was for that show, and it was definitely. It didn't translate well at all. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, they had a drummer and it just, the, you know, how Red Rocks can be. It can either be really good acoustics or really, really bad. Yeah, it's, 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 it really depends. It's either, either sound like Alice Cooper or you sound like the cure that time we saw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, God, that was really terrible. Or like that, or like when we saw, yeah, we had those free tickets to AFI. We went and it was like the like worst sound. It was like so quiet and it's like crappy sounding. <laughs> yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard to. Uh, it was here. really hard to deal with them as well. So yeah, and then yet you, you also had to deal with AFI on top of it. But yeah, the uh, and for the Delta Machine, you guys went to 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 Las Vegas to see them, right? That was that time. Delta Machine was in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, I saw Delta Machine in Vegas. They didn't come to Denver for that show. So we saw them at the um, at the Palms, at the, uh, the Pearl Theater, at, um, at the Palms Hotel Resort in Las Vegas. Right. That was a really good show. It wasn't the closest I've seen them, but it was. But it was such an intimate spot. It was like watching them in like. It was kind of like watching them at like uh like the Paramount or something or Yeah, like that size. Like that size probably. Or like the Buell or something. The Buell. That that that's what I'm thinking of. That would be the exact same size. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't too terribly big, but it wasn't too terribly small. Yeah, that would be that'd be a good venue to see them. But we were like the only Americans there. Like, really? Everybody was from South America. Like everybody was from like Brazil and Argentina and like fucking Peru and like there wasn't a white people in that place at all. There was a handful, but most of the people were fucking like Spaniard. Like that's crazy. Fuck. Like they're wonder- all South Americans from Spain. Like just like you like you were going to a European show. That was weird. weird. I wonder wonder if it's just because it was at a at Las Vegas, so it's like an easier place to fly into or something. I think so. I think it's just like, oh, we're, well, I don't want to wait a year for him to come to South America. I'm going to go see him in Vegas, baby, Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we'll go get drunk, go go stay at a hotel. I mean, it's, I, I'll tell you, Vegas is a really cool place to go see concerts, though. 
like yeah. to go to a concert. Like I, I have to think I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go to a Vegas. I wouldn't want to even go to Vegas even now to this day unless I wouldn't go into a rock concert or a show. Right. Like the last couple of times I've gone to Vegas is because I've gone to a concert. Yeah, I, I don't give a fuck about going to Vegas. Like I would never go to Vegas just to go to Vegas. Like I don't give a fuck. But yeah, if you're going to go see a show, that's that's different, you know. And then, you know, I mean, I would say, you know, like both those albums, we had talked about kind of like, you know, in regards to like how we felt about them. I mean, playing the angel was was solid. Sounds of the universe took some growing too. And then um, going <laughs> into the their last recorded works. Yeah, the lot. Um, yeah, the last one was because uh, we talked about Dolt Machine, and then we got uh, Spirit, which came out in 2017. I can't believe it's already been that long. <laughs> yeah, it's been five years, I think. Yes, yeah, five years. It just it feels like it feels like it was like yesterday for some reason, in some ways. <laughs> the uh, yeah, and uh, Spirit, like. Um, uh, I have like the copy you got me when because you were you're trying to buy all the you bought the extra copies to get like your better position and your ticket line and everything. <laughs> oh, all that stupid shit there. Damn, but I didn't go. To, I didn't go too nuts with it. You know, I just bought like an extra CD and then I bought it at a record. I was like, I'm gonna buy what I want, and I bought one for you. But I wasn't gonna be like, I'll buy ten copies of this. Well, it didn't help anybody who did buy ten copies. No, everybody I know that did that got worse seats. Yeah, but um, so yeah, that album had like a pretty ridiculous like like thing for, like coming out like when it came out for like the, the tour. But I'd say this album is about half good and half not good. Like this was, I remember buying these tickets was like the second time I ripped my eye really bad. Yeah, you. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember. It was the first. I think it was the first time I ripped my eye really bad. And then they yeah. went to work after I bought the tickets, and then I had to go to the hospital. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember you calling me when you bought the tickets. And you're like, I ripped my eye. I can barely see, but I still went and ordered the tickets. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how I bought those fucking tickets, man. I was, dude, I was excruciating pain, and then well, I drove to work, and then I felt like I was gonna die inside. Yeah, well, that's when we were at um, Scrubs. Scrubs. Yeah, <laughs> so that, yeah, I remember because we, uh, we were still working there. So, yeah, I remember yeah. You, you tore your eye and you went, you went to try to go to work. I think you tried to go to work before you bought tickets, and then and then you're like off that weekend or something. You took, and then you had to buy it. I don't remember how it went. And I, I, no, bought that. I ripped my eye the day I had to buy the tickets, a little Thursday. I bought the tickets, ripped my I ripped my eye in my sleep. I bought the tickets and I was in pain. And then I had to go to work right after. When I got to work, I realized I was fucked. Right. Bad. Yeah. And then I went to the doctor and they looked at my eye like, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, you... <laughs> you need help, man. <laughs> you, the, had the album come out already before you got the tickets? Uh yeah. Because you had to buy the album. That's right, yeah. You had to buy the album in order to get your shit in line. The, so, um, but I mean, that you got you guys got you got good tickets though, because you were like second row. So, 
Second row center. Second row center. The only person that was in front of me was the guy that ran the fan club. Right. <laughs> and then to the right of me was Dave's wife and her and his son. That's crazy. Yeah, that was crazy, dude. That was crazy as fuck. I remember walking past fucking Slave One going to my seat. That was pretty luxurious. She wasn't yeah. way the fuck back there. What? And she was on the internet guy, like all that bullshit when they were doing like fans and shit. She was one of the ones that they called out like, on, on their Facebook page and shit. Yeah. But we were <laughs> able to get up there and just walk right in front of a, a lot of people that were like, the fuck? This was a scam. <laughs> like, oh, it was kind of a scam, but if you knew how to order tickets through Ticketmaster, you would have got fucking tickets. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just... <laughs> I did it with one eyeball. I did it with one eyeball. <laughs> so I don't know what's wrong with you kids. <laughs> I don't know. People just uh, don't understand how, how it worked, I guess. The, um, so, um, yeah, this wait. album, I think, um, like I said, half of the album, I think, is good. And most of the, mostly it's Dave's songs that are good on this album. Yeah, Dave's songs are good, and, and Martin's songs are sus. The only good Martin song on this one really is the fail song at the end. Yeah. Like, I like Cover Me, but I think that's Dave's song. That's Dave's song. Dave. Dave, Dave's songs is Cover Me, You Move, Poison Heart, No More, This Is The Last Time. Those are all Dave's songs. Yeah, and all those songs are good. Yeah, they're all good songs. But yeah, but it's got some. This this album got some bad songs too. Like, where's the revolution? Yeah, bad. I hate that song. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to Depeche Mode for politics. Sorry, sorry, no. Martin. Like, Dave yeah. had the right had the right idea of not writing about politics. We want, we want, we want to hear you write about. Fucked up relationships and stuff. We don't want to hear you write about your like uh, nonsense politics stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what happens when you move to California. You know, I don't. Yeah, you live in the United States. You know, I mean, I think you know with with you know with Dave moving to New York. I mean, he was in California then moved to New York, and then of course once Dave went to New York, then Martin moved to California, and then right. you know. Fletch was still in England. He was the only one that was still the Brit out of all of them. Right. The um, yeah, this this uh, it's um, I definitely feel like it's definitely uh, it's definitely half good, you know. And uh, it's pretty much been my my consensus from when it came out. We listened to it first time. It's funny, like with Depeche Mode, because basically since Sounds of the Universe came out, we always like sit and listen to the album <laughs> or play it on a radio show. And like with Spirit, we when the album came out, we listened to it on the pod on the on the radio show. Remember? Yeah. Like, oh, and, it's just, and then you know, with you know now, obviously, we are waiting waiting on bated breath for their next album, which is. I feel this is going to be their last. I really, I'm really kind of thinking that that's what's going to happen. Okay, I, I mean, they might be able to make another one, but I, I'm just not. I'm not feeling that that's going to happen right out the gates. It's hard to tell. I think it's hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, 
the new album is coming out next year's Memento Mori. I, like, I'm definitely curious to see what's going to sound like. I feel like it's just going to continue what they've already been doing in the last couple albums. You know, I think it's just going to keep on going. Uh, yeah. They even uh, interview that that um that I sent you like. Uh, he did an interview with NME, like talking about the album, and he's saying that even before Fletch died, the, they had already written a lot of the songs and stuff. And he said that it was already kind of a album's like a meditation on death, which is why they call it Memento Mori. Like, like he's saying that, like, that, and that was even before Fletch died. So it's like now Fletch died is like I think it, it's kind of like added like a, a strange irony to them, like already like writing an album about death. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I mean the thing is, is that you know, like with uh, with the uh, the producers, I mean they've produced. Like I know the one woman producer has produced one of Bjork's albums, and then the other guy was in another ambient group. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see how how this comes out. I mean, they are saying that it's supposed to be. Released probably in like February or March of next yeah. year. They they like to release their albums in March. That's one thing. Like. Yeah, so that's what they're kind of slating it for. Hopefully we'll find out more American dates. They did put like five or six to kind of tease with the the first leg of the European tour. Um, hopefully they'll give some dates and some normalcy. I, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to have to travel somewhere to see them. I just don't know where. Right, because they yeah. know they're not gonna come. They know they're not coming to show. There's just no way it's not gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, feel it. hope they add more dates because uh, they um, right now there's like five, and it's like that better not be like their tour. Because I mean, they did it before of Delta Machine, where they only played like ten dates in the U.S. You know what I mean? I know they didn't. That's that's true. They didn't do a whole lot of dates for Delta Machine. And I think about it. I mean, they didn't really have an extensive tour for that album in the oh. united states so hopefully that's not the case uh, i guess we'll find out i don't think it will be just because i mean i think the thing with depeche mode is interesting is that i think in a lot of ways they're probably it's probably their second most popular they're, at this point in time i think this is probably the most popular they've been since violator you know what i mean like they're very like they're huge right now i mean that fucking the last two are sold out like almost instantly you know oh Spirit. yeah i mean and that and, and that album and that great you know so I mean, it's kind of you know it definitely you know it's going to be interesting to see how that comes about and how that works what so. i mean you can see with like a band like the cure it, you don't need to release album even release albums really to tour and fill the stadiums like with some of these bands but i like I do respect the mode that they continue to release good albums. You know, like even Spirit is still a pretty good album overall. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't like, they don't release complete crap like The Cure. You know, like it's it's hard. It's not very many bands you can say that about where you know they've been almost what almost. 40 years since they started like over 40 years and they just they've kept maintained a pretty high quality rate you know what i mean sure 
so I mean that's pretty much I, I mean I feel like we've we've covered all the albums um tried to cover some of the personal things I think that may be something for you no know, obviously we'll probably talk we'll probably have to have another session of this with some other bands maybe it ends up being like a Maybe you talk about like kind of our experience with bands we like and then talk about personal experiences. Yeah. <laughs> this history kind of rolled through it, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It, I figure when we do some more, we can talk about some other, other bands we like, or, um, um, I was even thinking we could do like an episode about like pornography or something, why the cure, you know what I mean? Or, or like the good cure albums, like, faith and pornography and disintegration and stuff like and wild moose wings and blood flowers and <laughs> yeah the 413 dream <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah be awesome so. <laughs> yeah i think i figured depeche mode is the best one to start with because because it's i know it's your favorite band so for sure for sure yeah so um i guess at this point um yeah, I guess that's that's yeah. I think we've we've talked this pretty through the whole discography. Yeah, I'm sure there's more more to talk about, but it's we've it's uh it's like it's the time to about time to close out. So, <laughs> all right. Well, the last song we'll be playing that probably should be on the podcast, correct? Yeah, we, I'm gonna play the yeah. We can talk about that real quick before we close out the uh the last the song we'll close out the podcast and the the live recording we're doing right now is uh you can uh, introduce it because it's your song so <laughs> so i did a cover of um of having to hold from music for the masses um for my side project art of malice um something where i've done a couple pieces of ambient work um it's something that i would like to continue on in the future but um i basically just just kind of built onto the original thing, took a sample of the song and just kind of built around it and just made it twice as long. <laughs> I think, I think the, in a lot of ways, I like your cover more than the original song because you do like extend it because the original song is only like two minutes, you know, it's a great song, but it's like, you, you feel like with your cover, you're like, no, nah, I'm going to, build on what they did in this song and make it even cooler because it's like an, well, it was, you made it like I, an I, epic you know i basically sung the song twice like the first time i kind of do it is like kind of like a like a kind of an intro where it's just like kind of like sneaking up on the song and then and then the second half of the song of me singing the song and then i just end the song so it's, right and then it's, uh did i play guitar in this one think so i guess we'll find out when we listen to it because <laughs> okay, so, i play i know i play guitar and some art of malice songs and i can't remember if this was one of them i mean this is the one i basically kind of i, I just put a i, I might have had you layer some guitar at the end of it i can't remember i guess we'll I find remember. out when we listen to it yeah because i was i had some songs where i was doing like the kind of like weird lead guitar stuff over what you're doing so they um yeah, I think art. I like all the art of malice stuff he did. I think it was that was cool. So and this one, I think, was a good cover. Cool. So, well, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> of course, we'll do some more more of these. So, I guess we'll I'll end the recording and we can uh, get into the to having to hold.
Thank you very much. Oh, sure. Thank you.